Uh, chapter 14 has started off fast, hasn't it? And it is not slowing down anytime soon. Uh, at the very start, we see the chief priests and the scribes, and they're doing their best in order to find a time, a stealthy time, that they can arrest and to kill Jesus. But they don't want to start a riot during the biggest festival of the year of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, and so, guess what? Judas comes along. <laughs> and Judas provides them an opportunity they didn't think they would be given. And so, from all of that, we came to last week, and, and there they are. They're eating the Passover meal. Jesus plans all of this with his disciples. It became a... Uh, uh, a new way of seeing these elements. It's the, the overall thing is there, which is redemption and freeing from bondage and slavery. Uh, but Jesus takes this one, over 1,000-year-old um, this meal, and he transforms it. And we see now it's no longer about just Israel being delivered from slavery and, you know, from the Egyptians. Now it's about humanity and, and their being freed from the bondage of sin and death. And Jesus is about to become the lamb, the lamb that is slaughtered, the lamb that its blood will be poured out for all of humanity. So Jesus knows what's going down, doesn't he? How do we know that from last week? How does Jesus know this is all about to go down? Yeah, he tells them, and, and one thing specifically, what does he say? Yeah, one of you is going to, you're going to do something here. And it's actually the beginning of this chiastic form that we love to talk about in here, or at least I love to talk about in here. Uh, and so last week we saw this betrayal, prediction of the betrayal of Judas. Now, Normally, I tell you more about the chiastic form, but we've done this enough. Tell me what you learn from looking at that form. Okay, there's three predictions, three fulfillments. What that tells me is what he says comes true. This comes back to the control, right? This is, he knows what's happening, right? Uh, also, what theme do you think is, is in all of this? Yeah, betrayal. Abandonment. So you got betrayal and abandonment. We're going to see that. Now, one thing we always look for in the chiastic form is what? Center, right? The center points to something. Now, this chiastic form has these three narratives that, that is part of the form itself. And the middle of the whole structure is Gethsemane, right? And, and we're going to see this next week. This is a huge, major part of what's going to be happening here. And here in all of this betrayal and this abandonment, we find this moment of quiet, of prayer, of rest. This is not an accident that's going to happen. This is a fulfillment of Scripture. And Jesus is actually going to say that again today. So when they finish the Passover, look at verse 26. Um, they, they ended the traditional way. They sang this hymn or hallel, right, this praise, and they leave, and where do they go? 
the Mount of Olives. Okay, that's the one up here. Here's the temple area. And so this is what it looks like today. And they went somewhere over here, uh, the Mount of Olives. Now, have, have we, has Mark mentioned the Mount of Olives at all? Has Jesus been there before? This is his prediction, right? Of the destruction of the temple. And now we see this is where he's going to spend his last moments of freedom before he heads to the cross. All right? So all this is happening here on Mount, the Mount of Olives. We're going to see some more significant to it later on. All right, let's get into the reading. What's the first thing he tells them? You're all going to fall away, right? Now, do you think they were shocked by this? We know they're shocked. We're going to see that. Last week, you know, they were only told there's one of them that's going to betray Jesus. But now he comes back. Now they've gone to the Mount of Olives. You know, they're all wondering, well, is it me? wonder if it's me. And now Jesus says, listen, don't wonder if this is you because you're all going to fail me. You're all going to fail me. And he says, you'll fall away. And this word fall away is really interesting. I looked it up means to cause someone to experience anger and or shock because of what has been said or done to cause one to be offended or to offend. And they will fall away. The first time we see this, this word in the Greek is, is in the uh, parable of the sower. Does anyone want to guess or maybe you know which one of the soils that it talks about one who will fall away rocky yeah very good it's the rocky ground and they have no root in themselves tell me if this is not the disciples folks remember this tr great trial this is coming up that the rest of jesus all of this is about to fall and he says but they endure for a while then when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word immediately they fall away so here we see the parable, and now we see an illustration of what that looks like. Someone who has a superficial zeal for God. They don't have real depth yet. And so, um, so they, they fall away. Jesus has worked hard to prepare these disciples. Does it, seems like, does it seem like he's gotten very far with them? It just doesn't, does it? You know? But... Here's the great thing about our text and what was just read. All hope is not lost. Okay? Notice again, back what was just read. Jesus tells them they will fall away because it is written. All right, anybody have a footnote as to where this was written? Yeah, Zechariah. Chapter 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. And here's the part that Jesus quotes. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. All right, the book of Zechariah is really interesting. Uh, we've alluded to it before. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Uh, but in that book... These people have come back from Babylonian captivity. And they have been encouraged to rebuild the temple and to 
await the promises of God. And so the temple has been rebuilt. And they're awaiting the fulfillment of these promises. And the promises that he gives is there will be a new Jerusalem, that a priest, king, Messiah will arise up, one of justice, and he will deal with the evil of the nations, and he will confront the nations. But it hadn't happened. And the reason it hasn't happened is they said that they were sorry to God, but their actions were saying something else. They weren't living that. And so what Zechariah, at the first part, says, if, there's, a, there's, there's these ifs in there, if you are faithful to Yahweh and his covenant. And we see that they just, well, they were not. And so in Zechariah's vision, he's told that the Messianic kingdom would only come when this happens. And so the final sections of Zechariah, which is chapters 9 through 14, it is, there is this uh, collage of images and poems of the coming Messianic kingdom. Now Mark has used these references before. One is the Messianic king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Remember that, right? We, we just mentioned this here a moment ago. That comes straight out of Zechariah. Rejoice, O greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteousness and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And guess where he's going to come down, according to the prophecy? The Mount of Olives. <laughs> Isn't that something? Uh, the other is this coming new covenant. Now, this goes back to what was said last week. Look back up into the mill, and in verse 24, and he says, and he takes the cup, he says, this is my blood of what? The covenant. This is, a, this is a new covenant that is being made, which is poured out for many. Now watch Zechariah. As for, as for you also, because of the covenant with you, what will he do? I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pits. When Jesus tells us, it takes this cup, what meal is this? It's Passover. What's Passover about? It's about setting captives free. Right? You see this. And so this third one where we see these visions is the one that we see here. And it's the, it is the rejected shepherd. And Matthew, um, if you go to the book of Matthew, we won't do that. But uh, Matthew uses even more references to, to Zechariah um, than does Mark. So Zechariah is telling us about this death of the shepherd king. And he is rejected by his flock. And if you were to go home and you were to read Zechariah tonight, you would, you would get into, I think it's around chapter 12, maybe even before that, you're hearing about these shepherds of Israel. And they were unfaithful to God. They only thought of themselves. Now think about, remember at one time there were these crowds and Jesus looks at them and he says they, they seem as if they are sheep without a shepherd. Folks, it's, it's the same connotation. It's, what God was needing is he's going to rise up the shepherd king, one that will do what the shepherds of Israel have not done. But then we see he rises up and, and what's going to happen? 
he's going to be struck. Now, who's going to strike him? His own people, yes. But, notice, it's, it's, the, it's Yahweh of hosts who's speaking. Strike the shepherd. And if you look back in our text, uh, verse 28, he says, but after I am, let's say, no, 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 uh, verse before that, he says, I will strike the shepherd. God's going to strike the shepherd, or really, the way we look at this is he allowed the shepherd to be struck. Why? Yeah. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a greater purpose that's happening here. The suffering and death of Jesus. Is this something that's new of the, of the messianic king, that he will die? Or is this something that's been predestined? It's been predestined. And where do you think of, there's one chapter especially in the Old Testament of prophecies. Do you think of one chapter? Isaiah 53. Great. Uh, well, that's not it. Um, let me see if I've got the next one. Ah, there it is. Ah, here we go. He says, yet was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. He's going to be offered up as a guilt offering. We shall see his offering. He shall prolong his days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hands. And that just is mind-boggling, especially to our human nature. Am I right? How, how can something like this happen? Jesus pointing to Zechariah, and anytime we see that it's, it, there's a... <laughs> anytime you see that there is some kind of footnote there to an Old Testament passage, you know what you need to do? You need to go over to it. You need to figure out what is this about because that's what he's talking about. He's not just trying to try to use other people's words. He's using what's happening in the text. And so we're seeing that what Jesus says, it is a warning, but it also, it's mixed with hope. The shepherd king will be struck. But this is what the poem continues to say after verse 7 in Zechariah. And the whole land declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. Now don't get in your mind, you know, okay, well, we've got to do the math. Exactly how many Jews would that be? The idea is there's a remnant. There is a remnant that will be left alive and, we'll be, and I will put this third into the fire and refine, refine them as one refines silver and test them. As gold is tested, they will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say, what? These are my people. And they will say, what? Yes, Yahweh is my God. So here I want you to see... Um, So we have this one-third, right? And, and he says they're going to remain alive. He said he's going to purify them. What else are you going to do? He's going to test them. Um, 
he's, um, he's going to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? To, revive, uh, to preserve them. Yeah, that's, that's another word. They will be preserved. And so Jesus, watch this. Jesus is saying that you disciples, you are going to scatter when the sheep is struck, when the shepherd is struck. And he said, but he says, there will be a regathering of the sheep that have scattered. How do we know that? When I'm resurrected. Don't you, I mean, every time we see something with Jesus talks about his death, and it's always like, oh man, this is, you know, it's just like we're talking about, you know, that the, that the Father would allow the Son to be struck. But then it comes back with this, this positive, and it speaks of this resurrection. And he says he's going to go before you, where? To Galilee. In other words, you're going to fail me. But I'm going to go before you to Galilee, and, and we're going to get regathered. I'm going to gather you up there. See that? So, um, the cup of death at Passover, it has been balanced out by Jesus speaking of resurrection. And what is the significance, folks, of Galilee? It's where it all started. That's where he first called his disciples. Do you realize that? And that's where what else happened there? It's where they were chosen. It's where Jesus taught. It's where Jesus, he, he did his, these great miracles. It's where he spoke of the kingdom of God. It's where the crowds were following. Y listen, there, there's like three acts. <laughs> okay, in act one of the gospel of Mark, we see this, this Galilean uh, ministry that's happening with Jesus. And I don't think it is a coincidence. Um, oh, and by the way, well, we'll, we'll maybe see that in a minute. Um, but it, I don't think it's a coincidence that the only two times that it mentions Jerusalem in Act 1, when Jesus is in Galilee doing his ministry, it is those who come from Jerusalem, and, and these are people who oppose him. Okay? And I don't think it is a coincidence that when we get to Act 3, that the only time that when it mentions Galilee, it is the place that they will go to be rounded up. It will be a place of restoration. And isn't it, okay, you almost would expect, okay, if I'm going to write this thing, okay, um, we will regather in Jerusalem by the temple. That's not what it says, is it? Why not Jerusalem? Why not the temple? Do what? God's done with the temple. What else? This is, this is the place uh, where the disciples failed the most, where they failed Jesus the most. It is the place that is going to take Jesus and they're going to crucify him. It is the place where the evil shepherds of Israel have been and where they have tried to um, 
to usurp the very authority of God. Jerusalem and its leaders and the temple are not seen in a positive light, but Galilee is. And Galilee is the place to be restored. And I think that is it's very significant as we, as we continue, continue on. All right. Somebody read for us verses 29 through 31. One thing we've mentioned before, Jesus gave these three predictions in the Gospel of Mark uh, of, of his coming rejection, oppression, death, and resurrection, right? And we also said after all three of them, we find these stories of the disciples' arrogance, of self-promotion, uh, you know, and, and pride. What, what, what happened after the first one? Do you remember? Give you a hint. It has to do with Peter. Yeah, Peter, Peter rebukes Jesus. Oh, no. You, no, no, Lord, you're not going to do that. Uh, after the second one, do you remember what happened? I can tell you don't. They argued over who's the greatest right after that. And then after the third one, that's when James and John go to Jesus. And what do they ask him? Yeah, we'd like the best seats in glory. We'd like the best seats in the kingdom. And all of this is what Peter does here, it's the same thing. Why? Jesus has just talked about he's going to be struck as a shepherd, and you know, he's going to be raised up. Again, we see we see all of this. And then and then Peter says, even though they all fall away, I will not. So what is what is the problem with Peter saying that? Even if everybody else falls away, and really kind of what's implied here is that he wouldn't be surprised. But, you know, all of these guys, they may fall away, but Lord, I'm not. Now, Peter is known as what among the group? Who is he among the group? He's a spokesman. Is he speaking for the group? Is he rising to their cause, all of their cause? Whose cause is he defending? He's defending his own cause. He's defending his own cause. That's what he does here. And without realizing it, the scattering of the sheep has already begun. You see this. It's already begun because even the leader among the disciples, or at least the spokesman of the disciples, he's no longer speaking for the group. He's kind of already gone, gone off on his own. Yes. And think, well, we're the strong one. Everybody else may, but you know what? You, you know, not me. Not me. Very good point. So what? So Peter says this, and he says, you know, not only, Lord, will I not deny you. What else does he say? I'll die. And what is Jesus' response? When, when is he going to deny Jesus? The very night. This very night. And how many times? Three times. This is not one little lapse that he has. Three times there's a pattern. And so he says it's not going to be days, it's not going to be years. He's saying tonight you're going to do it. And he is so emphatic here. Uh, and the word deny, uh, the word deny is to refuse to recognize or acknowledge. It is, it, is, it is a word that is also used to disavow someone. 
it is, it is a word to say, I'm not with them. Okay? You see that? Um, this, is, this is some serious stuff. Well, and that was on the denial part, and I, can't, I, got, I got too fast there. But does, does it stop Peter's protest of the denial part? No, of course not. Because now he's emphatic. He's emphatic. It means he's even beyond extreme degree. I didn't even know you could be on beyond extreme degree, but evidently you can. And he says, no, I will die with you. And he, he ups the ante, doesn't he? I'm not going to deny you. In fact, I'll, I'm going to die with you. And what he's doing is he rejects Jesus' prediction. He rejects the fulfillment of Scripture. And Peter is really kind of saying here, even though I, I think he's, got, he's trying to have good motives, but really what Peter is saying is, Lord, I'm going to prove you to be a false prophet just to save my own face. That, that's kind of what's happening here. Uh, do you think Peter was confused by all this? Remember back in chapter 8, we just alluded to it, and, and Jesus has said, I'm going, I'm going to be killed. And Peter, that's where he rebukes him, right? Oh no, Lord, don't, don't you dare say that, you know? Well now, at least it seems like he has accepted that Jesus is going to die. And that he's willing to die with him. I mean, it's like, Lord, can I not please you? I just wonder if, if maybe, the problem is he didn't understand this death that Jesus was going to die. Because it says there in the text, he's going to die with, I will die with you, to die with another or, uh, or other. And it's used by the apostle Paul, which is after the resurrection, where he talks about dying together and I will die with him. And yes, they will all die with Jesus eventually but could Peter go with Jesus to die with him why because what was Jesus's death about to give his life a ransom a redemption for many that's what it that's what it's about that's why folks uh, when Jesus is hosting the Passover meal, that Jesus, he's, he's saying here, I'm becoming the lamb. I am the lamb. It's, it's my blood that's going to be poured out. And, and Passover, by the way, became a metaphor for the Christians um, about Christ and his sacrifice. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus is not a martyr. Jesus is the lamb. And that's why Peter, still not getting it, he's seeing Jesus is going to die, but he sees him more kind of as a martyr. But here's something else let's not forget, because we love to pick on Peter. And I, and I don't like to forget it, because I see myself in Peter a lot, or see Peter in myself, whatever, whatever. But they all repeated it. They all said it. They all drank the cup. They all confessed allegiance to Jesus. And we're going to see next week, they are all going to desert Jesus. And one other thing that you may have noticed, um, Jesus said Peter would deny him three times before the cock crows how many times? Twice. 
Why is that interesting? Because all the other Gospels <laughs> tell us the cock will crow, crow three times. And it's like, what is that about? And I tried to do a lot of study. And it seems like the simplest answer is the fact that this is, Mark is, is Peter's memories. This is what he remembered of that night. He remembers the cock crowing twice. I don't think there's any kind of hidden messages that Mark is giving here or anything else, but that just kind of gives you uh, an idea. Let's uh, bow for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you, Father, for your son who came and he died for us. Father, we just pray that you'll be with us in our failures, that you'll continue to help us and strengthen us in ways that maybe we don't even realize. Um, but Father, help us to trust in you in all of our ways. And uh, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.